open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. It is so good to be with you today. It's good to see you out uh, with us and for us to be together. What a blessing it is to have each other and to worship God together in this location. Thank you for you being here in the encouragement that you are to me and to all of us. Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one of God. He is the Father's chosen king, exalted above all kings. Not only did God's Son come to redeem the world, to be our redeemer from sin, but he also came to be king, an eternal king. A king over an unshakable and immovable kingdom. He is king. And he is reigning right now at God's right hand. And his dominion, though, is not earthly. His dominion is not carnal. Instead, it is spiritual and it is heavenly. So therefore, when our physical universe comes to an end... And it will one day. And when it all comes to an end, the kingdom of Jesus Christ will be standing still and standing strong. For he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Ruling with the very rod of his mouth and needing no physical weaponry to sustain his rule. Whether it's ancient or modern, he does so by his own strength and by his own word. Jesus is the only king, though, who is capable of counseling peace. With a government resting securely on our Savior, our King's shoulders, there will be no end to his peace. In Isaiah chapter 2, beginning our reading there in verse 2, it says, Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established. And it will be established as the chief of the mountains, and it will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Come! Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us. That he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge. He will judge between the nations. And render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again will they learn war. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and verse 7. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and verse 7. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest 
on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to behold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now turn to Isaiah 11. Isaiah chapter 11 beginning there at verse 1. Isaiah 11 beginning at verse 1. And then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see. Nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But... With righteousness. With righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. The young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Jesus Christ, our King, is a counselor of peace. Since wisdom and understanding and knowledge are embodied in God the Son, He is rightfully the perfect one to counsel us. To counsel all of his subjects. For it is his advice, it is his recommendation, it is his judgments that are absolute. And thus, we should listen. We ought to be careful in taking heed to what our king has counseled us to do. The counsel of peace belongs to him alone. It is Jesus who possesses the ability to perceive, to examine, to discern, and to administrate impartial, righteous decisions. He alone counsels peace. It belongs to him for who he is. In every case, in every decision, Jesus administrates righteous decisions. In Colossians 2, 3, it says, It is in him that is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge 
in Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge exist. And it's for that reason he described by Isaiah as the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2, we've read already this morning, talks about how he is our peace, reconciling us into one body to God, for in himself he is establishing peace. Jesus is a counselor of peace to us. And the reason why is because he is both priest and king. In Zechariah chapter 6, Zechariah chapter 6, beginning there in verse 11, the prophet writes, Take silver and gold and make an ornate crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So we're talking about a time period when the remnant has returned back to Jerusalem and Judah. They, have re they are rebuilding the temple and the walls and their city. And God instructs Zechariah to take precious metals and make a crown and put it on the high priest's head of that day. And his name was Joshua. Verse 12, then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. And so we're not talking now about the physical temple, but we're talking about the spiritual temple of God. And he says the branch is going to come, and he's going to branch out, and he's going to build the temple of the Lord. And then listen to what it says in verse 13. Yes. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne, and thus he will be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace will be between the two offerings. Jesus is king, yes. King of kings and Lord of lords, but also Jesus as our king and as our priest counsels us in peace. Now, peace cannot be established without justice and righteousness. You can't have peace without these two attributes. If there's no justice and if there's no righteousness, then there is no peace. No matter what men say, no matter what men do, and no matter what men accomplish in this world, in this life, if there is no justice and righteousness, there is no peace. The prophets of God in the Old Testament warned God's people about the empty promises you know, of men. Promises that were like putting a a band-aid, you know, on a break in a dam. That's what it was like. In Ezekiel, for example, Ezekiel chapter 13. Ezekiel 13. Now, Ezekiel was the prophet that prophesied to Hebrews, Israelites, that are already in captivity in the, in the land of Babylon. And God raised up Ezekiel to prophesy to those Hebrews in captivity. And so they've been carried off, and they still need to hear God's word. Now, this is what he 
says here to them, verse 10, it is definitely because they have misled my people, speaking of those previously who had spoken falsehood. He said, it is definitely because they have misled my people by saying, peace, when there is no peace. And when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash. And so tell those who plastered over with whitewash that it will fall. A flooding rain will come and you, O hailstones, will fall and a violent wind will break it. So Ezekiel is saying, you've been misled. You know, you've listened to falsehoods, to these promises of peace when there was none. Jeremiah, before the day of Ezekiel, prophesied likewise of the same thing. It is Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. Now Jeremiah is back in Jerusalem prophesying against God's people, warning them about the judgments that are coming at the hand of the Babylonian Empire. And so Jeremiah lived through all those dark days and dark times, but he still was God's preacher in those days. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13, he said something very similar that Ezekiel will say later. He says, from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. All those who should have been speaking truth in those roles, in those positions of leadership that should have been leading the people to, toward God, were not. He says they were dealing falsely in verse 14. And they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. There is no peace for the wicked, God says. And so when men turn from the incorruptible creator, when they turn away from God, what happens? Sin and evil infect and spread. That is why we are warned in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, where there is greed, what follows? Where there is greed, there will be many evils and many griefs to come. Over in, in James chapter 3, where there are selfish ambition and jealousy, what comes? Well, James, by the Holy Spirit, tells us lies and arrogance and disorder. In Romans 13, where there are fleshly lusts, you know, the product of that are sorrows and, and hurts inflicted upon all those around. When men turn away from God, sin grows. And eventually the waste of sin is death. Therefore, there is no peace without a standard. There is no peace without a holy standard to which all men are accountable. But when man's or society's paths become crooked with dishonesty, with mischief, 
with wickedness and with violence, when that is the norm, what happens is men become ignorant of peace because there is no true justice. Oh, they say peace, peace here and peace, peace there, but there is no peace for the wicked. And we need to realize that. Going back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 59. A familiar passage to many, as you recall there in the beginning of the chapter, talks about how Israel's sins had separated them from God. And it's their sin that was hiding them from God's face. But notice some of the things that Isaiah by the Spirit writes in chapter 59. There in verse 3, for example, your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity and your lips have spoken falsehood and your tongue mutters wickedness. No one sues righteously. No one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They can see mischief and bring forth iniquity. You know, when, when you remove God, when you remove the holy standard what, ha what happens is depravity and decline. In verse 7, Isaiah continues to describe God's people who stray from God. He says, their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. The path of sin is a highway of devastation and destruction. And listen to verse 8. And they do not know the way of peace. And there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked, and whoever treads on them does not know peace. Jesus is our counselor of peace. But to have peace, there must be justice and there must be righteousness. And so Jesus is that standard. The one who is clothed in righteousness and faithfulness is the one who brings peace. And it is in him we find peace. He is the prince of peace. He is our God's commandments have always been for man's good. Whether you're talking about the commandments of the Old Testament or whether you're talking about the commandments of Jesus Christ. But God's commandments are for man's good. Very quickly, just glance there over in Deuteronomy chapter 10. As Moses is speaking to that generation that has grown up in the wilderness and now standing at the banks of the Jordan River, ready to cross over into the promised land. And Moses is preaching to them one last time. That's what the book of, of Deuteronomy is. It's his last sermon before he dies. And of course, he has a lot to say to them in this book. But notice what he says in verse 10 and 11, 12 and 13. Excuse me. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for 
pure good. That was true then, and that is true today. Now, we don't live under the law of Moses, but we live under the law of Christ, and the law of Christ is for our good. For it is that standard of holiness and righteousness and justice that brings about true peace. It comes from God. It comes from above. And so we need to be listening to God's anointed one. We need to be listening to the Messiah, to the Christ Jesus. Isaiah 51 Isaiah 51, verse you know, 4 and 5, he said, Pay attention to me, O my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for a law will go forth from me, and I will set my justice for a light of the peoples. He said, now he said, listen up. Play, pay close attention, because I am going to send forth a law and a light of justice to the nations. In chapter 52, Verse 7, he says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Our king counsels us in regard to peace. It is a peace that is based upon justice and righteousness and holiness that comes from above. In verse 10 of Isaiah 52, the Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations that all these of the earth may see the salvation of our God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that standard to the nations today. It is Christ's holy standard. And it is that gospel that holds every person, every individual accountable to God's righteousness. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. What are you told to do? You're told to seek something, aren't you? He says, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. In Titus 2, verse 11, we're told how the grace of Grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. And in verse 12, he says, teaching us to deny ungodliness and all worldly lusts and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present time. 1 John chapter 2, 29 tells us, you know, if you know that he is righteous, you know that he practices righteousness. The gospel holds us accountable to a, a standard of holiness, and it is that standard that brings about peace. And all who reject that, all who reject the Prince of Peace, all who reject the Count of Peace, will bear the consequences of the sword of his mouth. The true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ is what transforms people. In Isaiah chapter 11, which you read earlier, it envisions a spiritual time and a spiritual fellowship wherein predator and prey dwell together in harmony and quietness. That's Isaiah 11, verse 6 through 8. And so in that prophecy, 
This is not prophesying of a future time when wolves and leopards and bears on earth are not going to kill and eat their prey to survive. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is unsurpassed peace that exists in all of God's holy mountain. That's what he says there in verse 9. He said, and they will not hurt and destroy. He's not talking about animals. He's talking about people. It is that mountain of the house of the Lord that is described in chapter 2 that talks about how the nations are going to stream to that mountain. Why? Because the law is going to go forth. The standard of righteousness and justice is going to flow from this mountain and they will go there to learn and to walk in God's ways and God's path. So therefore, when men fill themselves with the knowledge of God, when we have filled ourselves with the true knowledge of our Creator, lives are changed. Our lives are changed. Our lives are made better. Think about filling yourself with something. What does that imply? This implies that you make it an intricate component of who you are. You make it an intricate component of who you are becoming. It's not just so we can regurgitate Bible facts. And it's not so that we can engage simply in some Bible discussion. It is so that we change. We are the wolves and the leopards and the bears that need to be changed. We're told in Hosea chapter 4, 6 that once the people of God destroy themselves for what reason? For a lack of knowledge. When we fill ourselves with the knowledge of God. A knowledge that puts us on that holy mountain and house of the Lord. When we are truly filling ourselves with the knowledge of Him. We become partakers. Partakers of the divine nature. In 1 Peter. Excuse me. 2 Peter chapter, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. The apostle writes and encourages saints by reminding them that they are to be mindful of the fact that he says, verse 3, that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And for by these he has granted us precious, magnificent promises so that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Through a true knowledge of God, through a true knowledge of Jesus Christ, through a true knowledge of our King, our Counselor of Peace, we become partakers of the divine nature. But also we become useful, we become fruitful, we become assured of our entrance into heaven. And for that reason, in the same chapter... We are admonished to diligently add to our faith these various attributes, one of them being knowledge, so that we will be useful, and so that we will be fruitful, verse 8, and so that we will have an assurance of our entrance into the eternal kingdom of our King and Lord 
and Savior, Jesus Christ. The peace of Christ ruling in our hearts is intricately, closely associated with the fact that we must enrich our lives with the word of Christ. For that reason, our peace is molding us. He is shaping us. He is transforming us into peacemakers. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, it talks about the changing of weaponry into agricultural utensils. And the point is that the, the righteous judgment that will flow from that holy, exalted mountain of the Lord, he who's going to judge the nations, those righteous judgments of our counselor are renewing and reshaping our hearts. They're changing our thought process. They're changing our, he's changing our lives. When we are converted, when we are converted by God's word, and we're converted by God's instruction, it changes our outlook. It changes our purpose. It changes our ways. And so instead of war, students and disciples of Jesus are all about the business of sowing and growing things. That's what our work's about. It's not about war. It's about sowing the right things and growing the right things. That's why Jesus includes in the Sermon on the Mount in the midst of his Beatitudes, this one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The Son of God is the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. He is the Counselor of Peace. And he is shaping us to be his peacemakers. Christ's gospel is not just about us being beneficiaries of God's peace. That's part of it. That we are recipients of peace with God. But that's just half of the, uh, half of the story. You know, that's just half of the question because as recipients of God's peace, we in turn are, to be, are being equipped. We're being shaped it, so that we are his tools, his imitators of a prince of peace. So that we ourselves become vessels of reconciliation. We ourselves become vessels of peace to others. Christ's peace governs. It, it, it directs us. And when, when we are listening to his governorship, when, we're, when, we are, when we are following his directorship, then we're going to adhere to his judgments. And those judgments and those decrees produce peace. In a very practical sense, let's look at these three quick examples at work in our life. For example, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, here you have the, the Apostle Paul 
writing to the churches of Galatia and in, in very strong language basically tells the brethren, tells Christians, you need to stop biting and devouring one another. Just stop it. Stop biting and devouring one another. I can't help but envision this instruction, this admonishment from the prophecy of Isaiah 2 when we're told that the wolves and the leopards and the bears, they're going to stop biting and devouring one another. Why is that? Because in God's holy mountain, under the rule and dominion of a king of peace, a counselor of peace, we are changed. And we stop that kind of behavior. We stop biting and devouring other people. But also in Galatians, you know, we look over in chapter 3, as it talks about the great scheme of, of, of God being fulfilled in Christ, and he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And that is, you know, what we have here, all these various physical differences that are accentuated in the world among men who are carnal-minded. All of those kind of differences are set aside. Those who belong to Christ don't see those things. Those things don't matter anymore. Why is that? Because blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called sons of God. But then finally, in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, when it speaks of those among us when, when we can so easily be entangled by the world, and it says, if anyone, if anyone is caught in any trespass, doesn't matter what it is, big or little, however we think it is, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you are spiritual. Restore, or that is repair, mend such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be offended. He who is our peace is molding us into Becoming true peacemakers. Not just at peace with God. But because of our peace with God. We are peace with one another. And we make peace even with those in the world. Are you? Are you one of God's peacemakers? Are you truly at peace with God. If not, you can be. The sins that separate you from God and from Jesus Christ right now can be remitted, can be washed away. That simple. God can do what He says He can. What His promises are are true. That's what they are. They're true. And he's faithful. If there's sin in your life, sin separates and sin brings death. But Jesus died to give you life. And to give you peace. Peace with God and peace
with others. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, you believe him to be God's son with all your heart, we want to encourage you to confess your faith that Jesus is God's son before others. Do so unashamedly with your mouth. Do you believe he's the Christ, he's God's son, that he died for you on Calvary's cross? But with that confession, repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ and God will raise you up begin a journey of seeking his guidance, his direction to have a life that is at peace day by day. If you are a child of God, and you have strayed from the path, and you're not at peace with him. Don't procrastinate what you know you need to do. If we can assist you to make your life right as well, we encourage you, we encourage all who are Subject to the invitation of Christ to come forward, make your wishes known, while we stand and sing the song.